Will you take your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk chapter 3? Last week we had the opportunity to uh, go through very quickly Habakkuk's, uh, Habakkuk chapters 1 and 2. And so today we'll finish the book together. We'll read all of Habakkuk chapter 3 and you can remain seated. And again, this is God's holy and inerrant word. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. Selah. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's he makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for beautiful literature that we can together read and comprehend. Help us to comprehend. Help us to understand what you have in store for us today. Thank you for uh, 
for Jesus Christ, who is your anointed, who you have uh, used in our own lives to save us. And now, Lord, we live in a land that is uh, so full of trouble, in our own time, so full of trouble. Help us to know from these words of Habakkuk how to handle these things, how to, how to handle trouble, and to be pointed to you. Speak to us, Lord, from your word today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So three weeks ago, uh, we began uh, really just a, a light speed journey through the book of Habakkuk. Um, it, we read the first two chapters, and um, I'm going to adjust this because you don't want to keep hearing my glasses. Sorry about that. So the first two chapters are, are really an emotional journey for Habakkuk that begins with feelings of despair and, and sadness. And, uh, you know, just like any journey uh, or any part of our journey of life, uh, Habakkuk will not be the same when the journey's over. And I was attempting to find an illustration for this because I, I think it's a very poignant thing to talk about, how when God takes us from one point to another, he changes us. Um, I thought of the journey of Frodo and Sam in, uh, in Lord of the Rings. Uh, and from, as they go from the Shire to Mount Doom, if you recall any of those movies, uh, there's quite a change in their attitude and their uh, overall demeanor. Um, if you've read the books, uh, even you, you, maybe you understand a little more of how that adventure concludes, but these hobbits go from very timid to very bold. Uh, they go from, from very placid individuals to very adventurous, and they're uh, at the beginning of the story, they're innocent and naive, and then at the end, they're, they're uh, tired, and they're wise to the ways of evil. They understand the evil that could befall them. Uh, but then I was thinking of another way to visualize this, and I did ask permission. Uh, this is a picture, it's hard to see, but this is a picture from seven years ago. You may recognize three of the guys in here. Uh, the first one is sitting on our back row. The second one is not a guy that you would know, but uh, I knew him from school. The third one is... Uh, not here, but his wife is. And then the fourth one is really the one I want to focus in on. And I talked to Kyle a little bit about this. This is uh, when Kyle was in 7th or 8th grade. We went to uh, Appalachian Bible College and we did uh, a youth impact event. And it was kind of a little bit of an overnight thing. And, and the kids got to enjoy teaching and games and all of those things. And uh, I tried to get from Kyle. He didn't have it on hand. But I tried to get from him the... Um, uh, the art he was drawing in 7th and 8th grade and, uh, and then compare it to what he is like today and what kind of art he's producing today. I do happen to have a picture of Kyle. This is recent, a couple of months ago. And I think you all have had the opportunity over the past several years to watch how Kyle has gone, uh, in this example, from being a 7th and 8th grader and, and probably a little immature and probably uh, you know just a young kid at that point to uh, being a freshman in college and still probably a little immature, uh, still probably uh, uh, growing and, and on a path that God has him on, but he's changed. And I think you and I can look back in our lives and see the exact same things, right? We can look back to this time in my life. I was thinking about when I took these guys to, uh, to that conference, and I was different. And uh, thank God for that. Right? Thank God that we are changing and growing more and more into what He wants us to be. But you know, the interesting thing is, this is not the final picture of Kyle. This is not all that he is becoming in his fullness. Right? God is changing him and He's growing him, just like God is changing and growing you and me. 
And the same thing is going on with Habakkuk. And so today we're going to be looking through what Habakkuk uh, went through uh, in these three chapters. And, and we're going to finish with the thought that Habakkuk is not done changing. He's not completed this journey of life. He will still have many trials to go through. And how will he continue to live and grow apart from his faith in God? Um, we're going to pick up where we left off and, and uh, with the note that if you as a, a believer in Christ seek a more, sim- or a, a more than just a simplistic knowledge of God, if you as a, a believer in Christ pray that your faith is more than just skin deep, then you are on this same journey that Habakkuk is on. Habakkuk's last words that we read were in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. He says, uh, in response to God's revelation that the Chaldeans are on their way to destroy Judah, uh, Habakkuk uh, is concerned about that. He reminds himself of who God is in that process. Uh, and he says at, in chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk is different from this moment as we pick it up in chapter 3. Um, his mindset shifted. And uh, you, many of you know J. Vernon McGee, a, a wise uh, teacher of, of the Word from former days. He notes that it is Habakkuk's experience uh, listening for God on the watchtower and, and Habakkuk's patient waiting for an answer that have brought him to this place of real faith. Uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, just a, a note as we jump into our points today. In verse 1 of chapter 3, Habakkuk says it's a prayer according to Shigianoth. Um, this is a type of music. Maybe uh, scholars think a type of, uh, of ode. Uh, a song that is very passionate. It's a, a song that he's come up with that uh, he passionately is re- rehearsing the history of God in the lives of his people, in the nation of Israel and Judah. Um, and so he's moved with emotion and I wish that we could hear uh, the music to this. I wish we could hear him actually sing this song. It would be, I think, very special. uh, Because from what we can tell, it's it's very well written and uh, and would probably be very beautiful. Habakkuk is moved with emotion at the majestic work of God. And so uh, we're going to focus with Habakkuk on the works of God. And we're going to characterize God's works through the introductory words of the first two verses of Habakkuk 3. Um, And that'll be our first point, the works of God characterized. We'll then go on and see the works of God reviewed by Habakkuk. He's going to remember God's works for the people of Israel, and that'll be in uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 15. And then finally, we're going to see how Habakkuk responds to the work of God. And then in doing so, hopefully we're going to learn how to respond as well. So what does it look like to see God work? Uh, What do God's works appear to us as? How how do they appear to us? Um, First of all, we see that God's works are witnessed by creation. And we'll just go through a a few verses of this. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, he says, I have heard the report of you. God displays, and he has in the previous passage, his works to his creation. And he does so for several reasons. First of all, he does it for his own glory. Uh, Romans 15 tells us, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness 
in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. God shows His promises and He he allows His creation to witness His works for His own glory. He also does it for the attraction of those who will believe. Uh, Speaking of God's mercy to him in his conversion, Paul writes in 1 Timothy, I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So God is displaying the work that he is doing in Paul's life as an example for those who would be drawn to that work. And then thirdly, He displays those works and they are witnessed by His creation for the judgment of those who refuse to bend the knee to His rule in their hearts. And if we go back to Romans chapter 1, Paul says, "...the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them." For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. If you look around you, you are easily able to see and witness the work of God. If you're a believer, praise God. Praise Him for the work that He is doing in your life and in the world around you. If you're an unbeliever, know that that makes you culpable, right? It makes you responsible for the knowledge that God has placed in your heart that He is real. And if you choose to deny the fact that Christ is not who He says He is, or that Christ is who He says He is, if you deny that fact, then you are responsible in the day of judgment. And that's what the Scripture teaches us. Because God has clearly demonstrated His works to His creation. Secondly, God's works are feared by His children. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 2, He says, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. If we as children of God really desire to know Him better, it it is incumbent on us to watch for the works of God, as I, I briefly mentioned a moment ago, and then respond to them in reverence. And we'll, we'll find this out later in the chapter as God specifically works on behalf of His people. Jesus talks in Matthew 11 about the, the judgments against Tyre and Sidon. And He thanks His Father that the judgments were revealed to those who were called to be His children. And what is the response that Jesus calls for at the end of Matthew chapter 11? He says, thank you for revealing the works of Tyre and Sidon, the, the, the judgments that you will serve against them. At the end of the chapter, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If we as believers are willing to see God for who he is and understand his judgment, it shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't frighten us to the point of worry. It should cause us to be in reverence to the point of rest. We must rest in the promises of God knowing that he will carry them out and rest in the works that he is going to do. Uh, The next three points here, the works of God characterized, come in very quick succession. Uh, He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In chapter 3, verse 2, in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. First of all, God's works are living works. Or I should say, number three, God's works are living works. Habakkuk prays that as God's plan comes together, that the works of God, which seemed missing 
As he looked through the first two passages, the first two chapters, the works that he could not see in those moments, and that maybe some even thought were dead and gone, would once again flourish. That as these uh, men of the Chaldeans came and uh, began to destroy their land, that God Himself would arise and would show His works to His people. God's works are to be broadcasted. In the midst of the years, make it known. Uh, God's works that we're going to see through, through Moses and Joshua and the judges were broadcasted to a watching world. And he wants to see, Habakkuk wants to see the power of God on display to the nations again. And, and just to pause here for a moment, let me ask, do you and I long for God to show Himself to the world around us? I, I think rhetorically, right, the answer seems to be yes. We would pray that God would show Himself to the world and show Himself to those who are unbelievers. But I think we, we must make it clear that that is something we should pray for. We should pray that God would demonstrate His power and demonstrate His works to the world around us. Pray that others will see the majesty and holiness of God. And, and here's the kicker. When you pray, remember that God demonstrates these traits and these works through the lives of His children. So when we pray for God to demonstrate His works to the world around us, know that He will most likely do that through you. Pray to be a vessel of God's works to those who know you, to those who do not trust Christ. Yield yourself to be used. And then finally, God's works are a display of the sum of His attributes. Uh, He says in chapter 3, verse 2, In wrath, remember mercy. Those two things are very opposite. They're very unlike each other in our minds. We, there seems to be a wall in between wrath and mercy. But it's a, a very wonderful thing about our God. Uh, that is, that unlike pagan deities or even our own self-made idols, God will never be anything less than the entirety of His nature. God will never be anything less than everything He is. And that's a, a wonder. It's an awesome thought. It's, it's reassurance for the child of God that when God's justice and wrath flow, which He promises they will, His mercy and His love are just as abundant. When He exercises justice, He exercises love. When He exercises uh, wrath, He's exercising mercy in the same measure because He is mercy. He is Holiness. He is love. He is truth. He is all of these things. And they all are expressed. And many times we see certain aspects of those characteristics of God, of those attributes, because they are affecting a certain area of our lives or maybe they're affecting a situation that we see in the world. But know that when God is being just, when we look at Him and say, this is, man, this is the justice and wrath of God, know that His mercy is also present. He still wants to redeem. He still wants to lead sinners home to Himself. The Old Testament prophets understood this. Seventy-five years before this, Isaiah spoke the words of God to the people of Israel and Judah in Isaiah 60. And he says, Foreigners shall build up your walls, and the king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. What an interesting thing to think about the, the captivity that the Chaldeans are going to impose on Judah 
Uh, it's an interesting thing to think about the punishment that, that the nation will soon experience. And think about how merciful God was in the middle of that. To preserve a line. To preserve a remnant. To preserve His people. So that one day we can turn in our Bible several pages back and, and we see in Luke chapter 2, Christ is born. God used that captivity to lead into this moment. To... to uh, smooth out the path for Christ to come. God is always working with all of His attributes. And, and just one more point regarding wrath mixed with mercy. This is a common theme in Scripture. We can look at it and we can see it in a, a number of different areas. But we find its ultimate culmination in the cross of Christ where God's infinite wrath and His incalculable mercy are poured out. His wrath poured out on His Son and His mercy poured out on us. Both in equal measure, both extended to those whom He loves. Tim Challies writes very poignantly, he says, Christ took my sentence upon Himself so that I can experience more than patient but temporary mercy. God's mercy is not just something where He says, I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to take the judgment for your sin and I'm going to push it to the side for a little bit of time. He continues, We have seen in the Old Testament that mercy can be, is expressed in patience, in wrath delayed, but now we see that mercy may also be expressed in grace, in wrath substituted, in wrath transferred to somebody else. And that person that uh, the wrath of God on us was transferred to is very clearly Christ. We also have a reminder in, in, this, uh, in these three uh, vignettes in, in chapter 3, verse 2, in the midst of the years revive it, in the midst of the years make it known, in wrath remember mercy. We have a reminder that God's timing will always prevail. They all have a time element. In the middle of something, God acts. In the middle of wrath, remember mercy. In the middle of these years of, of, uh, of judgment, make your works known. It feels like uh, maybe Habakkuk is reminding us that God may choose to wait until the middle of judgment to make His work apparent. God may choose to wait until the middle of a trial before you see the end of it. God may choose to wait until you don't feel like you understand anything of what's going on before He will reveal that He's been there all along. And He may choose to wait to reveal that to you even until the moment that you step into His presence. God's timing is perfect. We may not understand it now, but we can pray along with Habakkuk that that timing uh, be what God wants it to be. That we will know it, but we will know it in God's time. So, we've seen the works of God characterized. Let's look at the works of God as Habakkuk reviews them. Um, and, and just, a, again, a very obviously rhetorical question here. Does it do us good to recount the specific ways that God has worked in our lives in the past? And uh, if I was a different type of preacher, I would tell you, turn to your neighbor and say, yes, it does. But I'm not going to make you do that. Just nod your head vigorously. Uh, yes, it does do us good to recount the specific ways 
God has worked in our lives. And it, it is so important for us to remind ourselves of this. Um, and I'm not just talking about eternal salvation, right? It's important to be reminded of what God has done in our hearts to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. But if you take a pen and paper and you spend some time thinking back over the years and just reflecting, each of us could fill pages upon pages with the way that God has worked in us. Think back to our you know, seven years ago illustration. Think about what God has done in your life in the past seven years. We are human. We are weak. We're sinful. And when trials come, it is so easy and natural for us to be caught off guard and even to question God. But a, a, a memory of what He has done will help guard our hearts from bitterness, from anger at God, from ingratitude for what He has already done. For encouragement, when those times come, we sing songs like, When trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. To fire a faith worth more than gold, and there His faithfulness is told. Those words are, are nice, but then if we follow them up with a specific ordered recounting of His work in our lives, I think it will give us an even greater picture of God's character. It will remind us of His faithfulness. And in the middle of trial and uncertainty, it reminds us that His works always prevail. So three elements. Uh, just in the next 13 verses, I would love to take time and just go through each individual verse. We don't have that time today. But I just want to talk through how these verses are organized Verses 3 through 15. First of all, his, uh, God's works are reviewed historically. It's easy for us if we read through these verses to uh, place uh, each verse with a cultural memory uh, of the nation of Israel that Habakkuk is reviewing. In fact, this chapter is very similar to the end of Deuteronomy where Moses is reviewing God's works up to that point for the nation. And he's sitting there telling them, obey the commandments of God. Look at all the things that God has done for you. And there's some debate about what each of these individual events uh, and, and verses are referring to. But it's helpful for us to look back briefly and see that, indeed, those events have occurred. So uh, in 3.3 and 3.5, and God came from Teman, Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Before Him went pestilence, plague followed at His heels. It seems like these verses are re referring to the Exodus. Um, and... and we also see verses that refer potentially to the conquest of Canaan. You remember uh, when Joshua uh, caused, when God through Joshua caused the sun and the moon to stand still. The sun and moon stood still in their place. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11. You threshed the nations in anger, potentially with the nation of Israel as they moved into the promised land. And, and perhaps even the flood can be seen in verses 9 and 10. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. And on and on we could go. So uh, God's works, as, as, as Habakkuk reviews them, are historical in nature. They're also reviewed prophetically. And we know that Habakkuk is, is through the lens of his relationship with God, looking ahead to what God will do in the nation of Israel, in the nation of Judah. But he's also, uh, maybe without even understanding it fully, he's looking ahead to what God will do in the end times. If you keep your finger in Habakkuk 3 and turn to Revelation chapter 16, and as, as we turn there, once you get there, just kind of glance through this chapter. It's the, uh, it's the description that John gives of the seven bowls of, of the wrath of God. 
And it describes a time when God pours out judgment on the earth. And I just want to read a few verses uh, from 17 to the end of the chapter, 17 through 20, just to see if you recognize some of this language. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and great earthquakes such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. We've got six or seven elements, even in just these few verses, that call back to Habakkuk and remind us that Habakkuk has already prophesied that these things will happen. And they have happened in the past. It's how God has worked historically. But they will happen again in the future. God's work and His judgment uh, is not significant. Uh, Excuse me, it's not insignificant. Um, It's easy for us to get into the drudgery of everyday life and forget that, that God has worked in these ways and that He will work in these ways again. We would love to see God literally move a mountain. But know that He has been moving mountains to accomplish His will for you since creation. And he promises to do it again, even physically. Um, and, and Habakkuk is seeing this historical aspect, and he's also looking ahead and seeing that this is something that God can and will do again. But thirdly, he reviews these works cosmically. These works of God can be understood in a very spiritual sense. And, and if you go back and read the early church fathers, they tended to read these passages in that kind of spiritual sense, right? They understood it as a, a cosmic reminder of Christ's triumph over the forces of evil. Um, just a couple of very important phrases from Habakkuk 3, and we'll look at verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Habakkuk does not know who the Messiah is yet, but he knows that he will be, there will be a Messiah. He will be a Messiah. He knows Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He knows the prophecy of judgment and redemption in Isaiah 59. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Uh, And he continues in verse 21, My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring, or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. He he is saying that God will conquer evil. It's not just a historical fact in the Exodus. It's not just a, a prophetic fact for the future in Revelation in the Apocalypse. But it's a, a fact for today that God will crush the head, and He has crushed the head of the serpent. He will do His work in your life to transform you into the image of Christ. He will battle the forces of evil and darkness. He will battle death itself. And He will come out victorious. God is always going out for the salvation of His people. 
I'll just briefly read, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Here's the work of God on your behalf. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And honestly, we could quote this together, right? In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. God is working everything to the counsel of His will at all times and in every way. And even if we do not see it, we can be assured that it is happening. Because he promises that it is. Now just briefly, let's see the works of God as Habakkuk responds to them. First of all, he responds to, and this is an interesting way to, to think of it, with fear and anxiety that falters in the face of God's character. We've seen so many people in our society deconstruct their faith in a God who may never have been really real to them, and, and we may associate it with the phrase that their faith faltered. But it's wonderful to think of our fear faltering as we explore and view the majesty of the works of God in our lives. Habakkuk's fear falters. We see that in verse 16. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. This description, we've all been here, right? We've all felt this when something comes against us. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I will quietly wait for God in the middle of my fear, in the middle of trial, in the middle of trouble. And then he also responds with rejoicing despite the difficulties that he sees ahead. James Montgomery Boyce says, Habakkuk courageous, 